Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. Turn to Psalm 34, please. And for this, I'm going to read from the NIV, which I think is probably what's in the pews here. And I'll also let you know that I'm going to be hustling around uh, the Bible today between New and Old Testament. So I'm going to call out the verses, but no points off if you can't find, like, Obadiah or anything like that. And no, I'm not reading from Obadiah, but Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Speak peace. I'm sorry. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Go in peace. No, I'm kidding. There are three types of fear that are spoken about in Scripture. There is the fear of the Lord... So Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear in this sense is ordering your life in accordance with God's will because of your reverence for him. That's what that fear of the Lord means. Ordering your life in accordance with his will because of your reverence for him. There is fear in the presence of holiness... So getting near a holy thing and being afraid. I'll direct your attention to Isaiah 6, 1 through 6. Uh, So here Isaiah is uh, 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 writing in his book. 
He says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him. Each had six wings, and one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundation of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while, at, while the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is the biblical way of saying, holy cats. This is a big deal. This is fear in the presence of holiness. I'll give you a little bit uh, different example. Luke uh, 5, 4 through 8. So Jesus is uh, preaching. He sees two boats laying at the edge of the lake. Fishermen had gotten out. He walks, gets into one of the boats, gets into Simon's boat, and he says, uh, why don't you put out a little bit away from the land? And uh, he sat down, and now he's teaching people from the boat. Sitting in the boat, teaching, they're out away from the land. And then when he's finished, he says to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your net for a catch. Let's go fishing. And Simon answers, Master, we, we worked hard all night. We caught nothing. But I'll, I'll do as you say. I'll let down my net. And when they'd done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came, and they began to fill both boats so much full of fish that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, my Lord, for I am a sinful man. It's fear in the presence of holiness. The closer that one gets to God, the more one becomes aware of their sinfulness and their unworthiness. You cannot be close to God without seeing how sinful you are. So, that's the second kind of fear. Finally, there's fear in the sense of anxiety. And I'll have you flip over a couple of pages to Luke 12. <coughs> Luke 12, um, 22 through 25. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. How much value, more valuable are you than birds? And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life's span? If you can't do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Anxiety is not something God wants for his kids. He doesn't want us to be anxious. And I want to take a moment here and draw a distinction between what I'm going to talk about today, which is anxiety. And uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I want to draw a distinction between what I'm going to talk about today and anxiety as a medical diagnosis. Okay? Anxiety as a medical diagnosis is a product of the fall. 
some people are clinically diagnosed with anxiety disorder. And I part company with those people who say that if you want to get over that, you just have to pray harder. I, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm not with that. God heals miraculously. Amen? Sometimes he does that. Sometimes he, he heals supernaturally. Sometimes he heals pharmaceutically. If the Lord has led you to go to the doctor and this is how that problem in your life has gotten fixed, be glad. Be thankful we live in a time where that can happen. Because it's rough for those who don't have access to it. But that's not what I'm talking about today. Today I'm talking about concerning ourselves with matters over which we have no control. Why do you worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear? Where are you going to get your money? God doesn't want us spending our time in that way. So this thought isn't original to me, but some of you have heard me say it before, and it bears repeating here, and it's also part of the, your, your sermon notes. But the Bible is clear about three things when it comes to God. God is in control. God knows what he's doing. And God can be trusted. God is in control. He knows what he's doing. And he can be trusted. Do you believe that? Are you willing to stake your worry on it? Because here's some things that Christians worry about. COVID, the election, masks, vaccinations, transgenderism, the woke agenda, the loss of tax-exempt status for the church, gun violence, gun control, the mainstreaming of same-sex marriage, poisonous social atmosphere, they also worry about wayward kids, finances, unemployment, layoffs, their health, car payment, their mortgage. In other words, we're human. We worry. Can I get an amen? But should we? Should we worry about those things? If we belong to God, and if God is in control, and if he knows what he's doing, and if he can be trusted, then... Should we worry? Because God is telling us not to be anxious. Let's unpack this for a little bit. Point number one in your sermon notes, which I know you're all itching to fill out. God is in control. God's sovereignty is not in doubt. Psalm 103.19 makes that clear. But his ways are unsearchable. God's sovereignty isn't in doubt, but his ways are unsearchable. His ways are not our ways. Why? Because we're not God. God doesn't tell us a lot of things because he likes to keep a secret necessarily. I'm convinced that he doesn't tell us things because our mind would just disappear into a pink mist. Just mind blown. We, it, it'd be like trying to explain algebra to your dog, right? <laughs> Or, or my kid's dog, who's just dumb as a bag of hammers. It just doesn't work. Do we believe in the sovereignty of God? Do we believe that everything, good and bad, come from his hand? 
Do we believe that God really let Satan mistreat Job, including allowing the death of his kids and the loss of all his wealth? Because that's what the book says. Do we take God at his word when, uh, when he says, as he does in Exodus 4.11, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute? Or deaf? Or seeing? Or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God does that? Yes, God does that. He tells us he does that. Do we believe that God could have, but didn't, choose to rescue his son from a criminal's death in order to accomplish the most radical act of grace, all for his glory and for our good? Do we believe that? Do we think it pained him to watch his son suffer on the cross? But he did it anyway? God's ways are not our ways. They're difficult ways. Very, very hard to seek out. Inscrutable, one might, might, might say. If we believe those things are correct, are we correct in thinking then that the things that are important and necessary for us to have somehow escape God's attention? Like he looked down and said, whoops. Or are we instead worried that God simply won't do as we ask? That he won't give us what we want? I'll confess here that I am full of ideas about what God should be doing. And every time he calls to ask my opinion, I'm away from the phone. Can anybody join me in that? Yeah. That is oftentimes a source of our anxiety. Not that we don't think that God is capable of resolving it, but it may be the case that he might do something which is other than what we would like. Our anxiety often comes from being unable to see past our problem. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how this is going to get fixed. This is a big, big deal. What's going to happen? Well, the good news is, is we don't have to see past the problem. That's the good news for us. Because God sees past the problem. God saw past the problem a thousand years ago. He saw it coming. He knew what the outcome was going to be. So if we're smart and we believe that God is in control, we'll let him be responsible for solving the problem. We will give him responsibility for solving the problem. Give the problem to God. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And then leave it there. Leave it there. Now, this is not the same as getting, as getting out of our circumstances consequence-free if we have sinned or done something incredibly stupid, right? All of us, and I won't ask anybody to share their story, but all of us can think back to something in our lives when we go, I probably should have gone to jail for that, or I probably should have been in the hospital for that one, or it's a good thing my mom and dad didn't see that, 
Or can you fill in the blank? Sure. That doesn't mean that God is going to let us escape from the consequences of our actions. Recall that David's sin with Bathsheba resulted in the death of that child. Right? But that does not mean that God abandoned David. And it did and and it also doesn't mean that God walked away from the promises that he'd made to David. Yes, it was a big problem. Yes, David was going to suffer the consequences of that. But that doesn't mean that we should worry ultimately about the outcome. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. He is faithful and just to forgive us. That's a huge deal. And what that means is, even if we've done something that has consequences coming, we are forgiven and God will see us through those consequences as well. He will be with us. He's ordained those consequences to happen and he will walk us through that as well. And even if we've done something, or even if we find ourselves rather in a circumstance not of our own making, and I'll touch on this in a moment, perhaps we got laid off from our job or something like that, God saw that coming a thousand years ago, God knows what we need, and God will walk through us with that. Who here can think of a time in their life where God's provision came through and you didn't lose the car, you didn't lose the house, the diagnosis didn't come back bad, but you can only attribute it to the faithfulness of God in a set of circumstances that were not of your own making, and you can only chalk it up to his supernatural grace. This room ought to look like a tent revival. Everybody's got a story like that. Everybody's got a story like that. Has anybody here gone through the exercise of, of uh, being faithful in their tithe, even though you didn't know how you are going to make your bills? And somehow there's always enough money at the end of the month. But it doesn't make sense if you work it out in your paycheck. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. When you obey God, He is responsible for the consequences. He is responsible for making it work out. We don't know what that's going to look like. That's why it's called faith. But find a brother or sister Christian who can tell you that story. Most Christians I know have a story like that. We decided to be faithful in our, in our tithing. We'd never done that before. We were really concerned about how we were going to make it till the end of the month. Didn't know how it was going to happen, but we kind of got pushed over the edge, and we did it, and at the end of the month, everything worked out. Most mature Christians have, and some new Christians, have a story like that. It's amazing. If you don't believe it, here's something to try out. That principle in giving, I don't want to get drug into the weeds on this, but that principle in giving where God says, test me and see if I'm not faithful in this. Bring in the whole tithe and see if I won't give back a portion overflowing. Do you know that that is the only time in all the Bible where God says, test me? That's the only time where God says, test me. Otherwise, there's a lot of time spent saying, don't test me, right? Which is the godly equivalent of saying, do I have to stop this car? Right? <laughs> But here God says, test me. 
see if I don't do it. I've never met anybody came out on the losing end on that bargain. God is in control. He is responsible for the consequences and the outcome. That's why it's okay to let go of that anxiety. Because he's got it covered. Second point today. God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. 1 Corinthians one twenty-five. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. I'm going to read from Job. I'm going to talk about the foolishness of God vis-a-vis the, uh, the wisdom of man. So now God is speaking to Job after Job's friends have spent a bunch of time kibitzing about whether or not this is Job's fault and the character of God and all that kind of stuff. So here, here God speaks directly to Job. And remember, Job's having a really bad day. Okay? Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. So picture like this gigantic tornado, right? Who is this that darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird your, up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Now, understand that Job and his friends have been spending a lot of time asking why. So God says, I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who set its measurements, since you know? Or who stretched a line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its counterstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who enclosed the sea with doors when bursting forth it went out from the womb when I made a cloud its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and I placed boundaries on it and set a bolt on its doors and I said, thus far you shall come but no farther and here your proud waves shall stop. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? Do we believe that the things that vex us are out of the control of that guy? The living God who spoke the world in existence, somehow our concerns, which are a big deal, are out of his control or have escaped his attention? In actual fact, it doesn't matter that the world seems out of control. We can ask our guest Malcolm this morning, but my my guess is that during World War II, particularly those who served, but also those who lived in um, occupied Europe, they probably thought the world was out of control. If you've read anything about World War II, about the people who served in it, or the people who suffered through it, you have to walk away with the conclusion that people must have thought that this could very well be the end of days. 9-11. 9-11. Do you remember watching the towers come down and thinking, what's happening? That, that, that sense that just gripped your gut? What's happening here? COVID. 
a worldwide pandemic, what the Bible would call pestilence. Somehow this thing sweeps around the globe, wipes out trillions and trillions of dollars in wealth and jobs and housing, grinds commerce in in many sectors to a stop. Anybody take a look at that and go, "Is, is this it? Is this the big one? How about last summer? How about last summer watching, watching what was happening in Minneapolis, in New York, certain quarters of Europe, around the United States, looking at this and going, what's happening? We have lost, we, uh, we, we've lost it. The nice thing to know though is, and this is easy to think about now, very hard to think about when we're doom scrolling on the internet. But it doesn't matter that the world seems out of control from our perspective because God knows what he's doing. It doesn't matter that we don't understand. God does. And he might not want us to understand right now. Even if he explained it to us, we probably wouldn't get it. Because we're, well, won't say we, because I'm the type of guy who would say, well, yeah, but fill in the blank, right? Are you that type of person? Yeah, but God on his worst day is better than us on our best, right? We're just not going to outplay that guy. And so when we hear non-believers say, if God was a loving God... If God was really God, if he was really in control, fill in the blank. Our answer to that is, no, God is doing this because he's a loving God. I just don't understand that. I just don't get it right now. It'll be explained to me. I'm sure there's a Q&A session in heaven. But if we take as a given that God is a loving God and then he's in control and then he knows what he's doing, then what's happening here has to be for our good and for his glory. That's really hard to get your head around if you're a Christian, let alone if you're an unbeliever. Anxiety sometimes reflects an unspoken fear that God has somehow lost the plot. So if God really cared, or a loving God would never, dot, dot, dot. But the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Matthew 6, 31 and 32 says, uh, let me find it. Don't worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seeking all these things, for your, I'm sorry, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. Let me put this in context. Jesus here is speaking to Jews. Why are you, the children of God, the chosen people, worrying about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink? Who runs after these things? The Gentiles, non believers, is what he's saying. People who don't know me concern themselves with this. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. Now he goes on to say, 
But first seek His kingdom and His righteousness and all those things will be added to you. But the important thing is, is that God knows you need these things. And because He knows that you need these things, it means that we don't have to sweat whether or not He knows we need these things. Luke 12.25 says something similar. He says, Which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life's span? If you cannot do even this little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Notice the phrasing in that. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, adding a single hour to your life is an easy thing. It is an easy thing. But we can't do it. Right? Addition is an easy thing. A dog can't do addition. Right? That's, that's how I want us to think about it. Jesus says, if you can't do this little thing, then, then why are you worried about these other things? Be- because we know that God is more than capable of extending people's lives for a long, long time. Right? You see that a lot, a lot in, the, in, the, um, in the New Testament. It's like, it's, it's, it's like God awards people an extra life like in a video game. You're going to live for an extra 80 years, right? It's an easy thing for God to add time to people's lives. We can't even do that by worrying. And so what he's saying is, if you can't do that little thing, then it's silly to worry about other matters. God's got this, and we need to take him at his word that he's got this. Philippians 4.6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, will guard your, mind, your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. I want you to notice something. I'm going to read this again. Be anxious for nothing, but... So, don't be anxious. Instead... In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Does God want you to tell him what your requests are? Yes. Everybody say that. Yes. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request be known to God. And... When that happens, the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Prayer, petition, and thanksgiving are rewarded with peace of mind. That's why we take it to the Lord in prayer. Prayer, petition, and thanksgiving are rewarded by peace of mind. Isn't that a cool thought? We take it to the Lord in prayer, and what do we get? Peace of mind. Anybody here ever talked with a problem, or talked about a problem with a friend, and when you're all done, you say, thanks, I really feel better now. You ever done that? How much more does the Lord want us to do that? Who here has ever prayed over a matter, given it to God, and when you say amen, you're like, wow, I feel 10 pounds lighter. Yes? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes. They're all quiet over here. <laughs> Third point. He can be trusted. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, we focus on the problem. 
But but focus on Jesus requires faith. When we take our eyes off Jesus, we focus on the problem. But focus on Jesus requires faith. I'm going to read from Matthew. Matthew 14, 26, 31. This is where Jesus is walking on the water, walking out to the boat. Disciples are in the boat. Holy cow, what's this? They, they thought it was a ghost. These guys. <laughs> Disciples saw him walking on the sea and they were terrified. They said, it's a ghost! Are these grown men? or It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. And then under his breath he said, knuckleheads. No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But, seeing the wind, he became frightened and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said, You of little faith, why do you doubt? When we take our eyes off Jesus, we focus on the problem, the wind and the waves and what happens. Start to sink. But focus on Jesus requires faith. Notice what Jesus said. You have little faith. He said that to his disciples a lot. You have little faith. Do we look at our problems and draw conclusions about God? Or do we look at God and draw conclusions about our problems? Because the enemy loves it when we look at our problems and draw conclusions about God. You know... God really loved you, probably wouldn't be a big deal. If you really cared, such and such and so and so, whatever that's going to be. The enemy loves it when we do that. And that's why money is such an idol. That's why money is such an idol in the Christian faith. It fools us into thinking that it can solve our problems. Money does that. Is there anybody in this congregation, you don't have to raise your hand this time, but is there anybody in this congregation that doesn't think their life would be a lot easier if they went home and found five grand sitting on the dining room table? Yeah. Everybody can think of a use for that money, right? We start to look to money to provide for us instead of God. We think the money's the provision and not God. But money is just a tool. It's a useful tool. It can be a godly tool, but it's just a tool. And here's the other thing about it. It's a terrible God. It's a terrible God. Why? Because it's never, ever enough. Jesus made clear you cannot serve God and money. Sometimes God uses money as a gift in our life, but the money is never the giver. So if we have anxiety that we believe can be cured by money, we are looking at our problems and drawing conclusions about God. The alternative is to look at God, focus on Him, and draw a conclusion about our problems. Notice Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to walk on the water. And he did. He's the only other guy who walked on water. The fact that we can't physically walk on water was no impediment 
to this spiritual event. And bear in mind that that goes for Jesus too. In addition to being fully God, Jesus was fully man. He's got no more business walking on the water than you or me. But with God, it doesn't matter. God can do anything. And at his core, I think Peter knew that. If it's really you, tell me to walk on the water. You, you can do that. And so he did. He hopped out. But it requires us keeping focus on Jesus. Again, God saw our circumstances a thousand years ago. He's got it covered. Now, some of you might be saying, well, this story about Peter doesn't count because Peter actually saw Jesus. So it wasn't a big deal to get into the boat. Well, let me remind you about something. Jesus is the same guy who got frightened by a servant girl into denying Christ three times. Same guy. And we've got something that Peter did not have, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter relied on seeing Jesus. He needed, he needed to be near him to exercise that faith. We don't need that. We, we have the Holy Spirit. That is how we are near to Christ. Right? That's the vehicle. When, remember, at Pentecost, that's when Peter got the Holy Spirit. Right? That's when all of the believers got the Holy Spirit. So we need to focus on God and pray for help and keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Do folks think that's hard from time to time? That's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? Hard to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. It's hard to keep that belief going. We can ask for help with our unbelief. Take a look at Mark 9:24, or I'm sorry, 9:20 through 24. Briefly, because I know I'm I'm uh, behind my time here. They brought a boy to him, to Jesus. When Jesus saw the boy, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It's often throwing him down into a fire and into the water, destroy him. Now listen to what the dad says. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And here's the word of encouragement for us. Immediately the, father, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. Who wrestles with that? I do. Yes. yes. I, I, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Here's the good news. God knows that too. He knows that too. And I'll add this as a code of forgetting your mind off your own anxieties. Help somebody else. I don't have a Bible verse for this, but... What I can tell you is there are few things which are better for lifting your own personal burden than helping somebody else lift theirs. I want to read one last thing. Lamentations. Lamentations 3. This is what it looks like when the world is falling apart. Okay? Lamentations, we believe, was written by Jeremiah. If you've read the book of Jeremiah, you know that God is not happy. Not happy at all. And he promises all manner of destruction for the city of Jerusalem. But it, it, it portrays the divine judgment of God in Jerusalem around 586 B.C. It's the destruction of the temple... 
and all of their ritual, and the exile of all of their inhabitants, and the exile of their kings. I don't want to overstate the problems that were going on in Jerusalem during this this time, but here's what the book tells us happened. The The wholesale devastation and slaughter of the kings and the prophets and the princes and everyday citizens. Hunger in the land so severe that mothers resorted to cannibalism. Judah's citizenry dragged off into exile and slavery. All of the distinctive ceremony and ritual that the Jews had as their pride and joy in the temple, gone. That's what it looks like when God turns his back. And yet, there's hope. I am a man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He's driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely his hand has turned against me repeatedly all the day. He's caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He's broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. In dark places he's made me dwell like those who've been long dead. He's walled me in so that I cannot go out. He's made my chain heavy. Even when I cry out and call for help, he shuts out my prayer. He's blocked my ways with hewn stone. He's made my paths crooked. He is to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. He's turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. He's made me desolate. He's bent his bow and set me as the target for his arrows. He's made the arrows of his quiver to enter my inward parts. I have become a laughing stock to all my people. Their mocking song all the day. He's filled me with bitterness. He's made me drunk with wormwood. He's broken my teeth with gravel. He's made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say, my strength has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers me and is bowed down within me. Here's the ray of light. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness in deeds never ceases. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We don't have answers for everything. God doesn't tell us. That's why it's called the Christian faith. We don't know why some kids go missing or why people lose their jobs while others prosper or why the biopsy came back positive for cancer or our loved ones reject the faith. And we don't know why the Lord appoints dictators to rule or allows the godless to get ahead. There's a lot we don't know and we're not meant to know, at least not here and not now. Anxiety and prayer are two opposing forces in the Christian experience. So let's focus on what we do know. God is in control. He knows what he's doing. And he can be trusted. Father God, I am thankful. We are thankful. 
that the same God who sent the rain to cover the earth in the flood and who destroyed the city of Jerusalem is the same God who said to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. The same God who says to us, how much more valuable are you than the birds of the air? The same God who knows what we need, when we need it, and even when we mess up and we have to face the consequences of our actions, doesn't turn his back on us, but walks through even those circumstances to greater blessing and obedience. I pray that you would be with each person here this week, that we might be able to apply this in our lives in some way, and that we would be able to shine just brightly enough for a non-believer to see and ask us about the reason for our hope. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.